0: Welcome to America's Top Rebutons. May this class be for Rafu Shalema for Haim Aviel Daniel ben Roos. I'm happy to have on today's show Rebbitzins Sarah Alevsky. Rebbitzins Sarah is one of the Rebutons at Chabad of the West Side at, in New York City, along with Rebbitzins Rifki Kugel, Sarah Asi, Esther Miriam Fried, and Hayala Kugel. Rebbitzins Sarah and her husband Rabbi Haim B. Alefsky head up the Youth and Family Division of Chabad Family Programs. They also create educational materials for both adults and children. In addition, Rebus and Sarah runs the, the children's services at Chabad of the West Side Shul, and she has a Hebrew school for public public and private school students. A few summers ago, she started a day camp called Gone Izzy, also in New York City. Wow, you are so involved in so many amazing things, making New York City and the world
1: a better place. Please tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do. So you covered on a, quite a bit, but, um, <laughs> We moved here to the city about 14 years ago. Um, And before that, we lived in Dallas, for Plano, for a little bit. And before that, New Haven and all those places. We were involved in Jewish education. My husband was a teacher and I would just sometimes I would teach, but mostly I would just do programming for the school, like um, extracurricular stuff. We ran camps together. Um, I worked. Um, in Plano, I worked in the Chabad house and I helped them run their kids programming and their um, summer camp and other things like that. And I also did, I did, do and did graphics, but I don't do it so much anymore, but I would do it for our Chabad. And I still do it for our Chabad when needed and like our programming, but um, I mostly moved away from that. But um, that's pretty much what I did until we came here. Um, and we, we they brought us out here to both focus on families. My husband left this, the world of, of day school education, and we are more into, like, informal Jewish education now, pretty much. Um, he does a lot of work with um, Bar and Bar Mitzvah kids, but he also has done a lot of publications for Jewish day schools that, like, a lot of people are familiar with because their schools still use them, even though it's been many years since he's actively created those materials uh, for Torah Massorah and different organizations. So, like, he did Chumash workbooks and things like that. So that's been his thing. Um, and then when we moved here, they basically asked us... Um, to focus on the alumni of the preschool. Chabad of the West Side has an amazing, amazing preschool. Um, When we came, there were literally hundreds of kids here and families, once they finished with the preschool, they felt like there was no engagement with them afterwards. So like they wanted us to engage with those families and sort of bring them into other programming. So we started with a alumni club, like a, a preschool alumni club, which was like a kids club that met once a month. And, um, and from there we sort of like branched it out into other programming. And we also, those are the two things we started with it was pretty much the kids show on Chavez. And then, um, we also started with, the uh, um, with the boy, with the kids clubs that were, and then we sort of like moved those kids clubs into boys, into Girl Scouts, which I started, I had, I had for 13 years, a Girl Scouts troop, um, which sort of like over COVID it petered out and I need to get another, uh, a new troop leader right now, but I would love to start it again. And we have a monthly boys club for, and these these attract kids from all the religious schools, like in the neighborhood and in beyond. So, like it's an, also like a very diverse sort of population. We have kids from public school all the way to yeshiva um, that join us for these programs. Um, and that was like kind of the goal of what we wanted to do here is to bring people together, um, because even though there's people can't, can't sort of stay in their lane. Like in in Manhattan, it's very big, and everyone is like involved in their school and their show. And even if you have neighbors that maybe like from other denominations or or less religious or more religious than you, you you say hi, bye, but you're not really friends with them. You don't really interact with them. So we were looking for opportunities to get people together in that way, and um, and it just I think it sort of happened organically because at the preschool drew a very diverse crowd, like it still does. And, um, you know, kids go on to Yeshiva Katana and some kids go on to public school and private non-Jewish schools. So it's like, and then, and all the way in between. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it was natural that it progressed from there, that that seemed to be like what we created, um, together, like, and, um, yeah. So we really built upon the success of the, of the preschool to start because that was like our core group. Yes. And, um, and then it sort of evolved into like, you know, other other people as well joining who had not gone to the preschool. And that's sort of like where we are today.
0: Right, yeah, no, it's very important that you incorporate everybody, like you were saying, a broad spectrum of people from all over. So it's really, really good that they can benefit from the programming and everything that you have to offer there, um, a yeah. lot of the Upper West Side. Um, I mean, I know that you do a lot of work with kids and families who aren't affiliated with a particular synagogue or with a particular branch of Judaism. And I just want to see what inspired you to reach out to these families, these particular families, and what types, specifically what types of activities and events you do to, um,
1: to coordinate for them. Right, so so we're part of Chabad. So obviously, Chabad's goal is to get every Jew somehow connected to Yiddishkeit. And and really, the approach of the Rebbe was you know, was like a two pronged approach. In that he, on one hand, there is the value of individual mitzvah that there's like each mitzvah is of infinite value because it's an opportunity to connect the Hashem, which a lot of people often, um, you know, at least in the beginning, in the 60s and 70s when the Rebbe was talking about the mitzvah, which are the, the the mitzvah campaign that he initiated, whether it was, you know, getting people to put on tefillin or light candles or do other mitzvahs that are like, seem like a one-off. People were critical and like, how can you have someone put on tefillin if they didn't watch Nechavahs or they didn't do A, B, and C that day? And like, how can they put on tefillin? And the idea was that every mitzvah is an opportunity to connect to Hashem. Yes. Uh, and a mitzvah is, has clothed within it according to chassidists um a part of god's will which is from a very very high place so every time you do a mitzvah you're actually connecting to god's will which is even beyond his chachma and beyond everything else it's from his rut zone so 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 when you do a mitzvah you're giving a person when you let someone or you allow someone you give someone the opportunity to do a mitzvah you're giving them a chance to connect to hashem and you don't number one in of itself that has value Secondly, it does, you never know what, what mitzvah would lead to another, like mitzvah goerah's mitzvah, mitzvah leads to another mitzvah. So you don't know where it's going to take that person. And, um, we have so many stories of people that, you know, we met on the street and, you know, gave them an opportunity to do a mitzvah and then became more and more connected and are now, um, you know, more connected. Some are more observant, some are religious today, but like, you never know where it starts. So that's number one. Um, So that, that's very much the impetus for the work that we do. Mm -hmm. So when we get kids, when we look at Manhattan, especially in our neighborhood, on the Upper West Side, we have um, somewhere roughly around 80,000 Jews, which is sometimes, which is in more Jews than entire countries. Um, (laughs) This is true. (laughs) Within, within, you know, within what I call it, within, um, you know, uh, what a hundred uh, seventy block radius I don't even know what you how you yeah 80 block 100 block radius let's say from like the 50s to the to to Harlem there's because 80 very
0: small miles like for people who don't very, yeah you're miles.
1: talking three miles yes two, two or three miles radius you have 80,000 Jews it's amazing yeah so and then one way to look at it is that on the high holidays if you take all the seats from the reform all the way to the orthodox that, that they fill in shoals mm-hmm. or in theaters, wherever they put them, 10,000 Jews are going to Shul. I'm a and Kipper. So that means that there's 70,000 Jews that are not doing anything. So when you have that number in front of you all at all times, you think, how can we get these people to connect? Okay. Granted, some of them are older and not all of them are children, but within that 80,000, 70,000, you're talking at least 10,000, you know, families with small children. So like, what do we doing yeah. to connect to them? So, yeah. you know, we, obviously we're not gonna get to everyone. And there's, so there's, there's like a two pronged approach. We've got this idea that we do like these bigger events. Like we just did Hanukkah on ice, which is our biggest event of the year. I'll be happy to show you pictures of what it looked like if you want. Um, and we had f- like about 15,000, pe- 1500 people at the event. And I would say the majority of them were Manhattanites. There were people coming from other places. And we do it, um, Chabad Chabad Family Programs, Chabad of the West Side, we do this program, but we invite other Chabad's to share it. So it becomes like a collective Chabad thing. So it's really great. So other shluchim in the neighborhood, in the area, in Manhattan, share the event also. So it draws people from all over Manhattan. and like, we do other events like that on a bigger scale, but really the real work is the person to person work where yeah, the yeah. individual work yes. where you, you know, where families join our Hebrew school, um, they join, they come to kids show. I mean, you know, there's different ways in which we engage with people, um, for several summers, we had a summer camp, which again, was very diverse. We're hoping to do it again. Um, we'll, you can talk more about that later, but we're, we're still we're still stuck on a location and um, other things. So we're hoping to, to restart it. Um, But, you know, different ways in which to engage with people one-on-one and some of that just involves standing outside our house. We live on 86th street, like very close to the park. Um, And it's pretty much like a pretty main thoroughfare and we um, we we're in a brownstone. um, So we like, we put up a giant menorah outside our house, like on the porch And also there's like these spinning dreidels on the sidewalk. So if you ever go in the Upper West Side and you see like a giant menorah and spinning dreidels on the floor, that's, that's my husband. He's like, (laughs) he's into tech and he's got all that stuff going on. But like before on Sukkos, we stand there with a Lula Vanessa and we put this little tiny sukkah on our porch and people come by and they are able to make a bracha. And we shook the Lula Vanessa with hundreds of people and met so many families that way. And, um, what else? I'm Rosh Hashanah. We'll go blow the shofar, like in the park. Um, just do they have like a shofar in the park, but we'll also just take the shofar in the park and blow it. And so we look for opportunities for different mitzvahs that we can do with people like on the holidays. But, um, and that kind of also gives us another way to connect with people. Um, another thing we do is every Friday, my daughter writes the Shabbat candle lighting time mm-hmm. outside on the sidewalk with chalk. It's called chalk Shabbat. And, um, My daughter who is now 27, 28, she started this this project called Chalk Shabbat when she was 13. Um, So it's been going on for years. Like she started when she was like in middle school and she started giving out candles outside Zaybars. And then she realized that she's only there for a short time. Wouldn't it be nice if she left something there that people could see throughout the, the Friday afternoon? So she started taking chalk and writing the candle lighting times outside on the street (laughs) and on the sidewalk on Broadway. Uh, Zabar's is a really big, like, not kosher, but, like, has a lot of kosher food. And it's a big supermarket, like, a very classical store on the Upper West Side food store. So it was, like, a really good place to to set up shop. And um, she used to set up a little table there with candles and challah. And then she would just, like, a little Shabbat table. And then she would give out candles. So we were, uh, we moved up uh, further up. On the west side, to like closer to the park now, and um, we started doing it on our sidewalk outside, um, where she writes the candlelight. All my kids progressively. We have four girls, and each one of them took over from the other, and they would just chalk Shabbat. Um, about five years ago, we had a meeting with uh, Chief Rabbi of South Africa, Rabbi Warren Goldstein, Goldstein. Mm-hmm. and he called us in because he wanted to know like how we can like bring the Shabbos project to a practical way to the west side. Because like the West side, Shabbos project is like, um, you know, it's like really does really well in places where there are a lot of traditional Jews who are non-observant, like South America, um, Australia, obviously South Africa, and in Europe, where you have a lot of non-observant Jews who belong or affiliated with Orthodox synagogues. In America, it's very hard for the Shabbos project to have inroads into a more secular crowd or less observant crowd, I would say, or less, not even that, just less orthodox crowd because uh, it's, it's really geared towards the orthodox community in, in the sense of like the organizers. Um, it doesn't require much from the people who, if people are not familiar with it, the Shabbos project is an, an initiative to get people to do one Shabbos, like to keep, we'll Shabbos. keep Shabbos. Right. Yes. So um, it's usually in the early fall, like Parshas Lech Lecha, Vayera, like not long after uh, the high holidays so that people could push it in their shoals. But again, like it just didn't take off for whatever reason among other denominations. And he wanted um, to see if we can engage with more people. And some of the ideas that came up, I think that were, that were put into place was that they had this like thousand Friday night dinners where they just encouraged Families and singles to host and invite people who normally wouldn't come. Yes. That was like one way. That was actually really smart, and they did that. And the other thing we presented to them was this Chalk Shabbat, and he loved it so much that he actually ended up taking the idea and sharing it worldwide, where everybody did Chalk Shabbat um, that week. So you have people all over the world doing Chalk Shabbat now, where they write the candle lighting time on the sidewalk, and it all started from my daughter outside Zabar's. So, <laughs> yeah, and we still do it, and. I sometimes will make challah, like little challah rolls. And also we give out candles. So like on a summer Friday, I will be outside giving out challahs and candles with my kids, my grandkids at this point. Um, and my daughter, who's 13, she gives it out. Uh, she does the chalk Shabbat still every Friday. Um, it's, a beautiful so- it's such
0: an easy thing to do. All you have to do is take a piece of chalk. You have to look up the, the candle lighting times and you write the candle lighting times in, in chalk. You know, before Shabbat, so people know what time to light the candles. It's so simple, but it's so beautiful. And it could be the start. It could be the beginning of, you know, uh, somebody really lighting candles on time and observing the mitzvah.
1: Yeah. And we have so many people who like pass us and say, you know, I love seeing your, you know, your beautiful artwork. Yes. Um, my daughter, you know, she's pretty artistic, so she'll make it look nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's 12 and a half, but she's, she's really into it. Um, and then, um and we give out the candles and a lot of people really appreciate it. And they say, oh, I look for the candle every time. So I know what time to light Shabbat candles. Like the more, you know, people who do keep Shabbat, they're like, and we've had one or two people who get a f- like upset that we're making the sidewalk dirty, but like, <laughs> they are like few in here and rare, um, And for the most part, um, people are very positive about it. And I've had some really interesting conversations around that. Like I've had people just stop me on the street and say, oh, I see that you're doing this. I wanted to ask you a question about Judaism and they weren't Jewish or like, or Jews. And it just, be- it becomes an entry point. Exactly, um, yes. Yeah. And um, yeah, so that's really, um, that's one thing that we do that sort of took off. And there's actually the Tzach, which is the, um, so Chabad has like in New York City, Westchester and Long Island, all the Shluchim are under something called Sach. They're not under Merkis. So is runs all of Chabad. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the Rebbe set up that the New York metro area would be under a different organization officially called Sach, which is like, and they're like the people who put up the big menorah in in, in, in the parks, you know, like um, by Fifth Avenue. So the organization Sach, which stands for Tsirei, no, what does it stand for? Tsirei Chabad. Tsirei Chabad, like the youth of Chabad, like Chabad youth. They set up... Um, they took over this uh, Chalk Shabbat project and they've created kits that are beautiful. And you could just do a search and find it, Chalk Shabbat. And they made these beautiful kits that you can put on the floor and spray paint, um, spray chalk. You get spray chalk and you spray the the candle lighting time and and there's like candles that are like, so there's like a uniform look. There's three candles because the Rebbe always said you should have three candles when you depict candle lighting time. Because two represent the parent and then the one represents the girl um, lighting. So he always wanted to encourage girls over the age of three to start lighting. So he always recommended that we show two big candles and one small candle to represent that girls can light too. Um, And then there's like these numbers that are sort of like those, you know, calculator numbers that you just fill in what you need, you know, with a chalk like zero, zero, zero. So you just make them into different numbers. Um, And it says chalk Shabbat and it's like a uniform kind of look and people spray paint with spray chalk. There's like special spray chalk. So that's always fun also. Um, And they've taken that over and they've shipped those kits everywhere. I think part of the Shabbat project, it became like something they did for the Shabbat project. And then people use it. And my daughter's got mitzvah. We did that actually. We gave out the kits to the girls who came. So they're all doing it in their own home. Um, yeah, so that was the, that's the Chak Shabbat thing that sort of leaves an imprint in front of our house and, and we give out menorahs or we'll leave menorahs outside our house, like on steps and people just take them. Oh,
0: that's so um, nice.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's like a mitzvah house. We try. Yes. And, speaking
0: of that, and I, I, lo- I mean, I love the way that you reach out to people, both in groups and one-on-one and speaking of the one-on-one, I mean, you have worked with so many different families and, um, you know, I love stories and I was wondering if maybe, Uh, you can share a story or two about how a family that you know was really grew and was enriched by the type of work that you, that, that you do by your interactions with them,
1: you know, just something inspiring. Yeah. So, okay. I have a a couple of stories. So, so my, so one family, um, my, my son-in-law was outside, met, bumped into them randomly a few times and just had conversations with them. So my son-in-law, Eliyahu, um, Sapchinsky and my daughter, Shana, we just call them Sapo for short. Cause their name is really long. Um, they run the C teen here and they came here and they started C teen from like pretty much from the ground up. Like they, they look for teenagers wherever they meet them and they engage with them and they talk to them about, um, you know, Judaism and try to bring them, give them, there's all kinds of fun programming that they do with teens, like amazing stuff like trips and Shabatones, um, and, um, and social events and, and also like educational stuff. They do really cool stuff with them. So they, he's very sociable and he just meets people and starts talking to them. So he met this couple with two young kids um, on the street one time, started talking to them um, and he bumped into them randomly, like two or three more times. And then he told them they should come to Qaban and try out. They were curious about um, other ways of engaging with Judaism. They were going to a sort of Jewish renewal congregation and they felt they needed more. Um, so they came to Chabad and it, my husband was doing um, a beginner service, but it was kind of sporadic at the time. So they came and he wasn't there because he didn't have anyone coming because nobody confirmed they were going to come. And in the end they came and my son-in-law did it. And and then my husband came and we met them. And that was like it, but my, my son-in-law kept on bumping into them and we kept them bumping into them in like random places. And, um, they, they came for Shabbat to us, and slowly we started to build up a relationship. We koshered their kitchen wow. for them, and we've—I've made challah with her. So we did a couple things, and then, uh, then the beginning of COVID, you know, our Hebrew, all our Hebrew schools, like kids, like we, at the end of starting in March of 2020, we went online, yeah. uh, and then. In September of 2020, we decided to come back in person as much as possible. So in 2020, we had like a very interesting sort of hybrid situation where we had kids who were learning in their homes with teachers that I hired, like actual physical, you know, one-on-one or one-on-four that was going on. We had, we had online option, like Zoom option, and we had in-person option. They decided to do the in-person option and they came. Um, it was a very small group. We had like 15 kids in the Hebrew school in person. Um, and they came back this year and we just became, developed more and more of a relationship with them. And, um, you know, they've taken on a lot more mitzvahs and it was all started with some rent, you know, my son-in-law just meeting them on the street and having that conversation with them. And we're going to be helping them with their daughters, but mitzvah, um, they're both in our programming. One of them attends the um, the Hebrew school. She's in my class. She's one of my students and the other one. Um, and these are kids who go to non-Jewish private school. Um, and last night and two nights ago on Hanukkah nights, nice, they were there and they, you know, they were, she wrote me a, a text afterwards, how amazing it was and how beautiful it was to see. And she goes, I can't believe we never came. And she says, I saw so many of my friends, my kids' friends from their camp,
0: mm-hmm.
1: from their school. So she was like surprised to see, like, like a lot of times, again, people are in their own lane and they don't necessarily see that there's overlap. Yeah. And like she owned her encounter with us was always oh, we been in Hebrew school and stuff like that. But then she saw like it was broader, like there were more people engaging. And, um, anytime she has a question about anything she calls, you know, she'll call me, um, and have it to me to talk to her kids about things. So we like, we're like her, basically her connection, you know, to a starting point um and she has other people that obviously she talks to about about jewish stuff but um we're definitely part of that um and um it's so important
0: though it's so beautiful yeah. like what you're saying Like you, when you reach out to somebody you never know what the outcome of that is going to be
1: right and then we've had other stories obviously like we have a, a lady who lives right out who lives next door mm-hmm. and she started um she's she has a jewish mother not a jewish father mm-hmm. um And we met her on the street and my husband thought she wasn't Jewish. So he asked her for her name and her name is not a Jewish name. And they said, would you be able to come, you know, help me out with something in my home? It's was Shabbos. It was Friday night and we we needed help doing something. Um, And she said, he said, but any chance are you Jewish? She goes, I am. He goes, Oh, so you, you can't help me in that way, but would you like to come for dinner? And, she was like, oh, okay. <laughs> She's seen us around. So she felt like, you know, we weren't like total wackos. And she literally lives next door in the brownstone next door. So she came in. Um, she had never experienced anything Jewish. She never. And so that year was her year where she lit a Shabbat candle for the first time. She, mm-hmm. kept, she celebrated Rosh Hashanah with us, the Seder with us, Hanukkah with us. And now she has a baby. Um, she's the lifts next door. She'll come to music in the park with him. She'll, her, she'll come for a ditch about dinner to us. Like, and she's a doctor at NYU. And when everything was going on in starting in March, she was like literally our lifeline to a lot of people for a lot of people in the hospital there, because she was obviously like in COVID like this and um, was treating it n- nonstop. And she was our connection to people and she was able to bring people things that when, when, they, when everything was locked down, they weren't letting p- things get in or even, and uh, she helped so many of our friends, like, and p- strangers, people we don't know who would just say, do you know anyone at NYU? Can you help us? And uh, she was my person. So, um, and she's a person we still have a, like a great, you know, she's a friend and a neighbor, and she'll come to, we do music in the park on Fridays in the summer where my husband sings like Shabbat songs in Central Park. And it's just very like, people just we send out a blast on Facebook and people just show up. Um, and she would come to that whenever we did that. And, um, you know, she engages in different ways. Um, and hopefully her kid will come to a Jewish preschool or the preschool eventually. She's very little still, and, um, but she will come hopefully. So that's another example of like someone you just bumped into on the street and it, be, it develops into this kind of relationship. It's so special. It really is
0: very, very special. Um, so I wanted to ask you, cause you had mentioned earlier that you have a camp and I mean, summer is a time when kids have a break from school and they're always looking for something fun and recreational to do. And I know that you're in the process of restoring the camp gone Izzy. And I want just to see, I know that you do a lot of things with this, with the Hebrew schools, you know, but I was wondering why was it important for you to also
1: have a camp when kids have so many other options for things to do in the summer? So it was interesting. Um, you know, at the time I was exploring something called design thinking, like I was using it a lot in our Hebrew school to develop it. So I basically was working, um, with the Jewish education project because they had, they were helping us with one of our Hebrew schools, which is called Kivun. And it's, um, it's funded by the Steinhardt Foundation because Kivun, is, an orga- is a school, let's just start from here because then you'll see why I got involved in this. Kivun is a Hebrew school that serves a very specific population, just the children who attend the charter school that teaches Hebrew. It's called the Hebrew Public. So is an organization. And within Hebrew Public, there are several charter schools that they run. So I, was, I am affiliated with the Hebrew, my kids, my program is affiliated with the Harlem Hebrew Charter School, which is in Harlem, teaches Hebrew. It's totally not religious, obviously, because it's a public school, but they learn about Israeli culture and language They learn Hebrew. And then I pick them up twice a week and I bring them to Chabad and I give them the Yiddish guide piece. So the Steinhardt Foundation funds that and they were funding other after school programs at the time. Um, and we, and I was working with the Jewish education project because they were like sort of like um, helping us with the educational piece of it and trying to give us like some kind of, um, they wanted all the programs to have some kind of uniformity, like when it was came to like what we were offering or like some kind of standard. So we were working with them and they introduced us to this design thinking. And the way we used it was that we basically went to the parents and asked them what is it they want to see in their kids' Jewish education and built the program from there. So it was very much from the parents. So I was using design thinking in that setting. And I was like, what is it that Jewish people need here in the city that they don't have that would surprise me? Like I was just thinking about that. And there were certain pain points that I found that people were um, when I started talking about summer camp for years, people just said, you don't need to do a summer camp because, you know, what do you do that's better than Camp Vermont and, you know, all the camps out in New Jersey and, you know, that everyone wants to leave the conventional wisdom. Everyone wants to leave the city, the JCC, the Y, they both have big summer day camps, but when you're in second grade and up, you get bust outside the city. Nobody wants to be in the city. Then I met people who, A, their kids get really carsick and don't do well on buses. Two, people whose kids have like medical issues or not even just stuff or just things that the parents, the parents are just a little bit more protective and they don't want the idea that their kids could be on another side of, of the river (laughs) uh, for whatever reason, and they can't get to them. And they just didn't like the idea of their kids being far away from them for whatever reason. And then we had the financial considerations. A lot of these were very expensive. And even if the camps gave you a break, they can't give you a break on transportation because it's so expensive to transport children. Mm -hmm. So even if a camp said, okay, you can come to camp for $250 a week, which is very cheap for camps, they still would require you to pay $200 a week per child to transport the kids. So busing, yeah, bussing. And so we figured out that what if we did a camp that was economical, a budget camp built on built in the city using public transportation um focused mostly on using public transportation to go to places that are free or inexpensive and using our chabad as the base i was i figured out i was able to do it and give the kids all the stuff like the extras like we had basketball and soccer and sports and i mean art um, martial arts, we had music, we had drama, we had all the extras that people had in regular camp. Um, but we did it um, in the park or in Chabad. And then every day we went on a trip. Like we went either to the park or we went to other parks or we went to the museums, we went all over the city. And our goal was to hit all five boroughs. Wow. And um, we done it, um, we did it for two years in person like that. And then COVID came and then that summer, in 2020, we did um, camp pods in the Central Park where I hired like college kids to basically be glorified babysitters for four or five kids. And then we we'd bring them together to do um, more like programming, like soccer and martial arts and all the stuff that we, like the extras. So we brought them together twice a week to do like some kind of programming together, science. And then this past summer, I couldn't offer the, no one was really interested in the pods anymore. They really wanted to go back to regular camp Yes. and the subways were not safe enough yet and they still are not. So that's really my concern. Mm-hmm. I'm using public transportation. I was able to do offer camp for $1,800 for six weeks of camp. It's amazing. Right. And, and I didn't have to, I mean, in some, in some cases I did offer scholarships, but I really didn't have to because that was so doable for most people. And It gave people the luxury of saying, okay, I'm going to send my kids to this camp for a month or six weeks, and then we could do something else afterwards. I wasn't looking at their financials and, you know, I didn't have to like interrogate them. Um, So it just gave people a little bit more flexibility about their summer because they were able to be in the city for a month and then go do something with, you know, financially that they could, if they had sent their kids to a more expensive camp, they couldn't do. Um, And it just also solved those people's problems who didn't want their kids outside the city. Right. For sure. But now with public transportation being not so safe, at least even the perception of it is not so safe. I go, I used to subway all the time. I haven't encountered anything, but you see on the news and it scares people. And yes. I'm thinking maybe with a, armed guards, I don't know, like I'm trying to think how we could do it. Yeah. And the other piece of that is location. Chabad has, um, has their own camp and in the current configuration that they're in like they have a preschool camp there's no room for us to run out of there anymore so oh, okay. um so I don't have a location and I don't have a um and I'm, I'm worried about public transportation still and to go to busting would just like to speed traffic you're dealing with traffic you're dealing with like we tried a few times a bus and the kids end up sitting on the bus for hours it's just yeah you can get stuck on a subway but it's you know we just make it fun or we find another way out. Hopefully we've never got stuck stuck on the subway, but like, you know, right. Um, so it's, it's a lot of logistics, a lot of logistics that we figured out and ironed out and right. But yeah. for the time that we did it and I hopefully to do it again, once I feel more confident with the public transportation in the city, yes. um, it, it's really amazing. Cause again, it brought together people like, you know, visiting for the summer, like from other countries. I had um, and people who are like going to very religious sing, you know, single gender schools. And we, we kept the bumps actually separate, um, once they hit a certain age. Um, but it just, they've never been in, in an environment or been with other people from who are not like them in either case, like the religious kids and the secular kids were never in an environment where they were. And it was such a beautiful, um, mix. Of, of kids and it felt like it was such a microcosm of what the west side is and it just brought people together
0: it's for sure yeah it is it's a really unique opportunity if you don't get to socialize normally with religious kids if you're a more secular kid or vice versa if you're a more religious kid you don't get to socialize more often with a with a secular kid it's a beautiful beautiful opportunity just to I mean they're kids they I'm sure they they both like soccer and drama and basketball and everything and it's just a beautiful way for them to socialize and interact yeah. with each other
1: yeah. And it was really great. I mean, we hope to do it again. It was in, and it really was a city based camp and it was just, it was just so fun. Like, and they all had these, we all had these white t-shirts that we tie dyed the first day. So the kids all had these like really different, but same t-shirts. And I feel like that really reflected like who we were as a camp and that every kid was individual, but there was things that brought us together, you know? For sure, for sure. And we have like maybe just a few more minutes left, but I
0: just wanna ask you one more question because I feel like it's important. Um, We mentioned earlier that you and your husband were involved in creating educational materials for children as well as adults. And I just wanted to see if you could please just
1: quickly tell us about the types of educational materials and how they're used. Sure, so um, I'm involved with something called Kids, um, which is the Chabad, it's part of MERCUS, which is the thing that the basic organization that runs Chabad um, worldwide. Um, and under America's there's an organization called C So there's like they do Chabad on campus, which is like people who are um, involved with college. There's the JLI, which is like the Jewish Learning Institute, which is like adult ed. There's C Teen, which is and there's YJ, which is like works with teens. There's YJP, which works with young professionals. America's idea is that from from cradle, God forbid, cradle to grave, but you don't want to say that. So basically from like birth until you are a mother again, a parent again, and your kid is once again in the system, there's some Chabad is going to carry you through. So a kid who goes to, um, see kids, which is the Chabad kids, which starts at like the age of, you know, four or five, like elementary school age will take you to, um, will take you to teens and then teens will take you to college. College takes you to YJP. And then it starts to cycle all over again. So, Our goal, that's what Marcos was trying to do is to fill the gaps. So they didn't have the kids thing until about six or seven years ago. And they decided they had C-team going on for like, and then they started to do this focus on the kids. So I got involved almost from the very beginning, like the second year. And I realized that there was no Hebrew school. um, I had seen when working in Jewish education project that like Chabad has a huge network of Hebrew schools and we weren't really doing anything cohesive for them. There was no one looking at them as a whole and saying, "What can we do to make our Hebrew schools better as a whole?" So I started a Facebook group, and um, for Hebrew school educators. And I sort of challenged Marcus to. They took over this group, Facebook group, and I challenged them to start creating materials. We put together a committee, um, and I'm still involved with that, and I'm still involved in actually writing the curriculum. But starting in COVID, they started. They're, they're run by Zalman and Mushki. Lowenthal who are amazing. They're the people who are on top. They're a couple. And they um, decided that they were going to create curriculums for the Hebrew schools that people could use that would be school-wide. So we started during COVID actually the um, the first day that all the schools shut down, we already had these videos where Hebrew schools could show either Zoom them or they could show them like in a Zoom setting or they could share them with the parents. Um, And they were complete lessons with craft supplies and, um, and entertainers. It was, they were amazing. So we did that from March until the end of the year, we created these videos and they were, it was like every week we were working all week to pull together these videos. And it was frenetic. The next year we created something called bring it home, which was a Jewish curriculum that was like a. It had two meanings, right? Bring it home is like we're bringing Yiddishkeit into your home because a lot of kids were learning on Zoom. And this was a unique opportunity for getting into their homes and bringing guide into their homes in a really practical way. Like when we did the mezuzah lesson, we offered everyone mezuzahs and we gave out thousands worldwide to wow. Jewish families. Um, and bring it home also is this Hasidic idea that when you do mitzvot, you're bringing Hashem's light into the world, which will allow the Mashiach to come because the more... The more that mitzvot that you do, and the more light that is brought into the world, the more ready the world becomes for Mashiach, um, and to bring and to bring Hashem to bring the base hamigdash down, bring it home, like bring Hashem down into this world with the revelation of Mashiach. So bring His presence, His Shechina, into the world. Um, so that was that was the dual meaning of that. And then this year we also, so I worked on that all last year, and this summer we started working on this year's curriculum, which is called Israel Quest. Um, which is focusing more on the history of Israel. And again, these are being used by hundreds of Hebrew schools. Um, so I'm involved in the general development of it, but also specifically with the sixth to eighth grade um, and the K to one, like those two curriculums. K to one is called Super U, Super Jew. And the rest of the kids are doing this Israel class. And it's just like a really fascinating um foray into Jewish history for kids who are not exposed to it. So like next week's lesson is Eliyahu Navi, his life, which most people don't know. So like even Orthodox kids don't really know Eliyahu Navi's whole history. They'll know the story of the Baal, you know, the Nevi HaBaal, the, you know, but they don't really know his life story from start to finish. And it's like, it's, it's fascinating what we're able to give these kids. It really is. Thank you. That is, I
0: just, you just so much in so many different facets and so many different ways. And I just think that it's so important for people to hear. Like, I really appreciate you being here because people can hear, because even if you're not a Robinson, even if you just, you know, just, just a regular Jew, you know, you can still do something. You can still reach out to somebody in some way and do something. And just even just re- to reach out and say hello to, to your fellow Jew in a in in supermarket or on the street and just say hello, maybe even invite somebody over for Shabbat. I think it could really open doors.
1: And I think that um, it's very inspiring yeah. and amazing. Yeah, we have one neighbor who is very involved and actually helped my daughter, Hashgacha Pratis, like complete divine providence. My daughter and her, her husband um, and Barak they have four kids. They live in the South Bronx. They run a Chabad in the South Bronx, and they started it about four or five years ago. And they were actually not looking there. They were looking in other areas to see where they could start a Chabad house. And we have a friend, okay, so this guy who lives next door to us also, like we have this whole 86th street, like literally we have an 86th street WhatsApp group. It's just people we met on the street. Um, and this guy lives next door and he is in real estate. And he says, you know, really, Kali and Hanamushka, that's their names, should move to the South Bronx. We're like, you're crazy. The South Bronx, like what is there? There are Jews there? Like everybody left. I mean, there's Yankee Stadium. What else is there? Like there's no <laughs> Jews there. He says you'll be surprised there are jews moving in so in the grand concourse you know and in south, south of that which is where they lived first in my haven there are jews so he introduced them to like city councilmen i'm, I'm city the bronx he went in, whatever some person in politics there i forgot who it was and then some people in the community who had been you know trying to start something jewishly and he got them interested in the South, and he really made some connections for them in the South Bronx and they yes. decided to go there and they just bought a house. Um, they, they, in the South Bronx in the middle of like, everyone's like, what are you doing here? Like the neighbors are all like, what are you doing here? But, um, they are, they're having a Hanukkah party tonight and there'll be 50 people there. So there are people and, um, they're just, there's so funny story. My daughter was in, these people came to our Hanukkah party last night my daughter brought them to Hanukkah on ice, but they, my son-in-law was in the park playing with my grandson and there was one little boy, um, African-American boy, really cute. And his, um, his, his mother, his father calls his name and it was like a Jewish name. I'm trying to remember what it was It's something like Akiva. It's not Akiva, but let's say it's Akiva. Um, and he says, Akiva, come here. And my son-in-law is like, Akiva is like, yeah, yeah his mom is Israeli. Oh my God. And they're now like one of their families that come to everything. Their kids volunteer for them. And like, they've been there for five years, but uh, this little boy and my oldest grandson are like really good friends and they do a lot of things together and they brought them to Hanukkah on ice. And, um, so you never know, like you, right. you never know where to start. And also like, we've had so many times where, you know, It's very important, I think, to keep a very open mind about people that you meet, because you never know if they're Jewish or not. And it's very, you have to be very careful to just be open to everyone. Like, I love that my kids, when they give out, the grandkids give out the the Shabbat candles, they don't ask people, are they Jewish? They just say, do you want to have Shabbat candles? Because you never know. You never know if they can pass it on to someone who's Jewish, or they are Jewish themselves, and you just never know. It's a beautiful way to do that. It's a really, very classy way to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: Thank you so much, and Sarah, You're for welcome to join us on America's Top and We really, really appreciate you having me here. And may today's class be for Afu Shalema, for Haim Aviel Daniel ben And if anyone in the audience has any questions or comments about the podcast, or if anyone would like to sponsor a future podcast, please email us at atrebbitzins at gmail.com. That's A-T-R-E-B-B-E-T-Z-I-N-S at gmail.com. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. Thank you.